This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Radio.com studios here in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. Here to talk, of course, about the coronavirus pandemic. Sleeping issues getting bad. There's actually a name for it. Corona somnia. You have it. We've talked about how people with the virus are having strange dreams and bad sleep, but uh, it doesn't seem to be getting any better. So we'll explore the problems corona somnia can cause. Oh, sorry, I was dozing off there. (laughs) Hollywood is having a tough time getting back to normal. Remember that word, normal? The virus is creating lots of movie production problems because it's refusing to go away. Television feeling the effects the fall season with the new shows. It is being impacted. We'll tell you how. New jobless numbers are out, and they indicate some improvement as the unemployment rate is lower, but the economy still has a long, long way to go before getting back to some kind of normal. There's that word again, normal. normal. How we yearn for normal. Yeah. Uh, and normal sleep. Neurologist Alone Avidan is with the UCLA Sleep Disorders Center to talk about uh, how we're sleeping at night. So what does, say, months of poor sleep do to people? Well, uh, the studies show that um, lots of, say, light exposure, interestingly, uh, with uh, physical and social distancing, people are staying indoors, and what ends up happening, they're not getting light exposure. And what that ends up happening is um, it uh, sort of say disrupts the circadian rhythms. The circadian rhythms, when you go to sleep and when you wake up, are those rhythms are responsible to govern our uh, sleep and wakefulness patterns, and when and light is what turns them on and off. And without enough light exposure, people end up having very irregular sleep-wake patterns. So what we're seeing is uh, people are sleeping sleeping longer, but they're sleeping in later. And there's almost like their patterns are in LA, but they're following the the sleep-wake patterns in Honolulu. (laughs) <laughs> I wish I wish you were sleeping in Honolulu, on a beach frankly. Somewhere. <laughs> uh, is some of this, though, uh, because since more people are staying at home and they don't have that much to do if they go outside, they're what? Watching more television, sitting in front of their computer screens, looking at their, their uh, smartphones, that sort of thing? Exactly. So what ends up happening is, uh, at least, the patients I've seen is that they're they're watching the news at night. They get worried because all they hear about is a the epidemic and and people uh, unfortunately not not doing too well. And and what that creates is a source of of uh, stress, a source of anxiety that is a particularly at the time in which we are supposed to relax and be able to to be prepared for sleep. But what ends up happening on top of that is they're getting abnormal light exposure from the screens. So that sends a signal to the brain to wake up. So individuals essentially um, uh, uh, feel that they're having a hard time falling asleep because they're stressed, they're getting all this abnormal light signal. And then what, what happens also on top of that is a lot of folks are using Zoom at the time in which they're supposed to have darkness around them, particularly in children who are all, nowadays it seems like they're all on on Zoom with their teachers at at times that they're supposed to be actually getting getting more rest and getting a little bit less uh, light signal. 
And what ends up happening, the light signal that they do need from the outside, they're not getting because they're trapped inside, inside. the house yeah. in the morning. So what do we do about all this besides try and stick to a schedule that seems more normal when we can't do that because of the pandemic, at least all right. the time? Absolutely. So there, there are a few things that people can do. The first and the foremost is to follow a schedule as if they're actually going to the office. I'll give you my example. So when I, when I have uh, a certain uh, pattern to follow and do that consistently, I usually uh, put on a suit and I sit in, in my office, say, at home and pretend I'm, I'm at work. So I, I essentially um, don't allow the patterns uh, of, say, and the, the temptation to sleep in to, to create that uh, circadian abnormality. So I, I would uh, essentially do, do all my work, finish my work at the right time, generally around five and six, and then from from May six to all the way to bedtime is protect that time for um, going out for a walk, getting getting through with say catching up with friends and, and family, and then um, without any temptation to watch the news, I try to just read something that is more on the lighter side. Something non-pandemic related. Exactly. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, health impact of not sleeping well. I know, you know, we were talking, Mike and I, before, and so Mike doesn't sleep that well at night. I don't sleep that well uh, most nights, so we both sleep a lot during the show. (laughs) What what are the health effects? Uh, The health effects of poor sleep and and insufficient sleep include um, poor immune system. And it could be at a more vulnerable time than now. So in, in essence, folks who are not sleeping sufficiently are uh, potentially at risk for more susceptibility to getting infections and particularly getting, uh, be, being susceptible to COVID-19 uh, infections. And that's interestingly also true if you're not getting the light exposure and also true if, if your vitamin D level is, is low because vitamin D level um, can impact your immune function and would not make you, susceptible, would not make you uh, able to fight infections, inc- including the COVID-19 infections. We know that uh, poor sleep can also lead to cardiovascular uh, problems, diabetes, affecting your, your ability to think and function normally, and also lead to depression. So for this very reasons, I think that most people should try at least to maintain regular patterns and to try to make sure that they're getting enough sleep. Interestingly, in, in college students, we're finding that there is actually a positive impact. The pandemic has actually allowed for college students to get more sleep. But the problem is, it's more sleep at the wrong time. <laughs> so they, should, they should go to bed at 1 or 2 in the yeah. morning. They get, they get more. Uh, Dr. Alon Avidan, neurologist, director of the UCLA Sleep Disorders Center. The movie industry trying to get back to normal. There's that word again, normal, but the virus. We is should have a little bell yeah, and we'll ring it each time. Normal, normal, normal. Well, it is trying to get back to normal, but the virus has proven to be a tough opponent. Productions are trying to resume normal shooting. Well, 
they're trying to do it while protecting crews. It's really difficult. Yeah, even with the precautions. Uh, Robert Pattinson, the next Batman, got COVID-19, reported uh, yesterday. Not Sharon, Batman, really. I know, Batman has it. Batman? You know it's bad when it gets to Gotham City. Yeah. Uh, Sharon Waxman, CEO and editor-in-chief of The Wrap, is with us. So, Sharon, this really shows us the situation we're in when the star of your big movie comes down with this. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this is really uh, very much the brave new world that every Hollywood production company and studio is in. This is a huge property. It's a huge production. And to have the star get COVID um, is basically your worst nightmare come to life. So there was a report this morning that production had restarted. That's absolutely not the case. I think that the studio Warner Brothers is, is figuring out what they need to do. But obviously, their number one thing is going to make is going to be to make sure that the star of the movie is safe and healthy and uh, can come back to work. But that's not going to be in the immediate. Well, well, you know, uh, going back a few months to the uh, very beginning of the pandemic, and of course, Tom Hanks was the first celebrity that right. we, we heard that's of right. that came mm-hmm. down with it. Have they ever gone back to production on the film that he was involved in when they had to cut that production because he got ill? No, not as far as I know. That was uh, off in New Zealand and or Australia. Now I'm con- confused. I want to say New Zealand, though. Yeah, they're both um, the same. <laughs> no, oh, no, they're not. Oh, my no, God, I know. I know. Get me in so much trouble. Oh, my word. The phone calls. Uh, but um, no, no. I mean, there, there are not. There is not major production going on. Let me just put it this way. There's very little production at the blockbuster level going on. Very little. Well, the reason why I I brought up and I went back to the Tom Hanks thing is because nobody really knows, right, when when you get especially major stars at the start of a film, if they test positive or if they come down actually with COVID-19, there really is no way to know when you can restart production because you don't know how many other people may have been contaminated. They may get sick at different times. What do you do? Start production one day, shut it down the next, start it again the next day. You can't do things that way. It's going to take forever to make a movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's going to obviously add costs, which makes it more difficult, not to mention that you don't really know if you're going to be able to release it in theaters because all of that is still hanging in the balance. Obviously, some mm-hmm. are open, not a lot, but some. Uh, Europe has them, yes, and some states. Tenant is one of the movies well, that's out. Actually, actually, more than half of American theaters are open, but just not here. <laughs> but just not here, yeah, not in the big populated uh, centers of America. So, New York, uh, Los Angeles, you know, the states of California, New York, we're still shut because I'm speaking to you from California. <laughs> But most of the country is open. Tenet's going to be in 2,800 theaters this this weekend. That's a lot. Yeah, but these theaters may be open, but are there any early indications that people are going? And even if they're going, I'm sure most of these theaters, no matter where they are in the country, have certain restrictions now on how many people they can pack in. Well, all of that's true. We won't know until this weekend takes place whether people are ready to go back to theaters. And that's why it's such a crucial test. It's, the movie's done very well, unexpectedly well overseas. It opened with $53 million a weekend ago. And now we're going to test how that's going to go in the United States. I guess when you start to think about what will I go see in terms of A, what's out there, and B, what's my first movie after this if I do have maybe some reservation about going somewhere public, if I'm going to have to watch a movie on the big screen, this is going to be the one that I'm going to choose. Yeah, I think absolutely. Because, you know, Christopher Nolan, the director, has been really... Uh, passionate about showing his movies in theaters and only in theaters. He creates 
the spectacle of his movies, which are always kind of mind-bending and visual-bending and confuses you and delights you, like all of those things. It's <laughs> not trying at all to figure out what's going on. Yeah, yeah, but, but I yeah t- that's right. But that's I got, what I meant. But I got to tell you, Sharon, you know, I, and I'm going to bet a lot of people listening to this will think the same thing that, I, that I'm about to say, which, which is I used to think in terms of a movie, uh, am I going to get parking? Am I going to get the seats that I want? That kind of thing. Now I'm going to have to think, is this a movie that's worth getting possibly COVID-19 for? Well, I think if that's going to be the calculation, there has to be enough people who don't feel that they're at risk because there's no movie at all ever that's worth getting COVID-19 for, even Christopher Nolan. And I'm on the record <laughs> on that. <laughs> but, so what really I think that the, the, the theater owners have to demonstrate is whoever shows up, it has to go well. It has to go smoothly. You have to have an experience where we don't have an infection rate that is discernible that comes out of the people, you know, the, the sort of the, the movie going audience this weekend. And people have to be obviously responsible when they're going. It's on all the ticket holders, too, who are going to also be responsible so that we can start going back to the movies. And I think that's why it really is an experiment. Sharon Waxman, CEO and Editor-in-Chief of The Wrap. The television side of Hollywood is also feeling the harsh impacts of the pandemic. The virus has ruined production schedules in the fall TV season, has been just about wrecked. So you start to wonder, are we going to see a whole bunch of reality shows? You know, put cameras in a house and then quarantine people there. It seems easy. Uh, They're easier to produce. Brian Lowry, TV critic and media industry analyst for CNN. So, Brian, what do we expect to be watching? Reality shows have been the the genre that it's been easiest for the networks to get up and running. Um, But they've been fairly creative about acquisitions. Um, so you're seeing a lot of uh, networks run out and pick up shows from Canada or the U.K. that were already produced. And some of the networks that are part of big conglomerates are borrowing shows uh, from cable networks uh, or streaming services that might not have been widely seen. They're actually referring to them, I love this quote, as gently used. <laughs> gently um, used. So, <laughs> It, which, which brings to mind the NBC ad campaign that if you hadn't seen a rerun, it, it was new to you. They ran <laughs> that in the 1990s. So uh, you've, you'll, you'll be seeing quite a lot of scripted TV still, but at least on the broadcast networks until November, which is really when they're targeting bringing uh, most of their kind of major shows back, it's going to be largely reality shows, and some of those are, are their most popular shows, and then uh, imports and acquisitions. Kind of feels like summer TV is just going to last a little bit longer than usual until the regular shows we expect for fall come back once they can get those more off the ground. I think that's right. I mean, it's going to look a little bit more for the major networks like a summer schedule. And they were, you know, they were really trying to avoid this. When they announced their lineups last spring, they just went ahead and announced their fall lineups. Um, the only network that sort of acknowledged the reality of what they were kind of heading into was the CW network, which basically said that they were going to launch their season in January and then very kind of shrewdly went out and picked up some shows from uh, the streaming service DC Universe like Swamp Thing and uh, some Canadian shows and and planned to fill their lineup that way. That's basically what, what everybody is now doing. Uh, with the disclaimer that, you know, Netflix and some of the streaming services have ordered shows way in advance. So Netflix has a kind of steady flow of new series coming. Um, 
through September into October that were ordered and have just been sitting waiting to launch. But for the broadcast networks, uh, they're kind of getting by on spit and glue. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, when it comes to uh, TV shows that Americans are used to, uh, you know, big network uh, hits, if there still are are any, I guess there are, uh, you know, it sounds like the networks are engaged in a lot of wishful thinking because November, January, nobody really knows when they are going to really be able to go back into production in this uh, country. In our last segment, we were talking with uh, Sharon Waxman about the motion picture industry. They're having a heck of a time trying to do it. You know, the the Batman production had to shut down. The Tom Hanks movie that he got ill on still hasn't gone back in production. How do you how do you end up getting U.S. shows that are hits with people back into production anytime soon? Well, it's a real problem, and, you know, they, they're shooting for, I mean, obviously, they, uh, the entertainment industry got together, they talked to the unions, they talked to the guilds, and they uh, established all sorts of safety protocols, but it's, you know, it's sort of that old thing like uh, boxing against Mike Tyson, it's fine until you get hit in the mouth, <laughs> and, um, you know, you get onto the set and follow the protocols, and then if, uh, if someone gets sick... Um, you've got to shut things down or, or you know, take a break. And uh, so everyone who is even with the best intentions has announced, you know, shows like This Is Us um, will be back in November. Uh, but whether those shows, as they go into production toward the end of August into September, can stay in production, that's really going to be the issue. Brian Lowry, TV critic, media industry analyst for CNN. Brian, thanks. The economy continues to struggle despite a drop in the jobless rate from 10.2% to 8.4. million jobs added last month, but does it really feel like a recovery? Millions of people still out of work. Shutdown orders remain in effect. Friend of the podcast, David Fiorenza, professor at Villanova School of Business, uh, with us again. He talks to KYW's Matt Leon about the positives and the negatives of the economy right now. The Labor Department actually is making some adjustments and and trying to reduce what I call distortions in their data. Uh, they, they call it seasonally adjusted data uh, was the gauge they used to, to have where they sort of smoothed everything out. And the example I like to give is that usually after winter, unemployment in ski resorts rises every spring. So the spike in claims is actually going to be multiplied by a smaller factor to bring the numbers more in line with the rest of the country. Uh, I'm not saying that next week the, the numbers are going to jump up to one and a half, two or three million, but we are going to be making adjustments. So this unprecedented level of unemployment was actually caused by the pandemic. Uh, so that's why they take a look at things to smooth it out a little bit better and to take out some of the of the distortions in the marketplace. So I think next week we're going to see that number revised at 883,000. It doesn't mean unemployment's going to jump back up to 10%, but it, there are going to be some revisions from week to week. I think the Bureau of Labor Statistics needs to survey more households and survey more businesses than just the 60,000 that they survey to get this number every week. You mentioned durable goods earlier. They were up, I think it was a little over 11% for July. Uh, what's behind this? Well, some of that is a, is the strong demand for cars and trucks. Some of it's business spending outside the, the auto industry as well. So with all this 
pent up demand, if you want to call it that. Uh, people were saving money. People were not going on vacations. And people were looking to see, well, maybe I trade in an older car. Maybe I trade in an older truck. And I get some of these models that are towards the end of the model year. I want to talk a little bit about the dollar. It it's been going down pretty low. Is that a big deal? What does that mean? And is that something to be concerned about amidst all the other economic uh, situations we're dealing with? Sure, that's a good question. Good time to bring this up. With with the U.S. dollar going down, you're seeing gold go up, and people are looking to put their money in various things. And gold being a commodity. It's been it's been trading low for so long, but it's close to two thousand dollars a troy ounce. With the dollar being low, uh, the Federal Reserve is really trying to keep interest rates low and inflation low. It that we want a strong dollar. However, uh, uh, if the dollar goes down, possibly our exports could go up. It makes our goods more attractive to other countries if our dollar is not worth as much, which means other countries can buy more of our goods at a lower cost and even more of our dollar at a lower cost. So it may spur other other financial markets in other countries to buy our U.S. dollar when it goes down. We've talked a lot about uh, the possibility of a second stimulus package. I know six, seven weeks ago, I thought it was a slam dunk that one would be coming down the road. Now... It seems like we haven't made any progress. Uh, do you still think we're gonna gonna see one? And what do you think at this point? Would it look different than it would have had it come out when I think we all thought we might see it in like late July? Well, that's a great point. I think it will look a lot different as we get into September and October, as we get closer to an election. Uh, I think it's it's not going to be the same amount of money. I I think both sides are going to have to agree on something for some people. I think there's a lot of still a lot of hurt out there. Those who cannot pay their rent, those who cannot pay their their mortgages. Uh, and the end of July was when the additional six hundred dollars of the CARES, CARES Act. Um, was basically wiped away, and some people have not been called back to work. If they have been called back to work, they haven't been called back full-time either. So we have to take a look to see whether the hours worked are the same as they were for pre-COVID. So that's a big concern that, that a lot of people have. Will I have a job October? Will I have a job November? As we get closer to the holidays and the spending during Thanksgiving and Christmas season. We've talked a lot about hospitality and how much it's been hammered. When we talk about congressional action, this would seem to be an area specifically like hotels and stuff uh, that are, are going to need some help, no? Oh, they, they, they are, Matt, because if, if we're not having concerts, if we're not having sports, where the fans are going to go every day to see the Phillies play or on the Sundays to see the Eagles play. You're not going to have out-of-town guests. And if they're not using the hotels, they're not using the restaurants, it's a multiplier effect. That means they're not spending as much on gasoline and tolls to, to drive here from four or five hours away. They're not visiting the tourist attractions down in the city. They're not visiting places as such as Longwood Gardens are going up to the city of Bethlehem for a couple days. All this tourism or lack of tourism hurts hospitality. Hotels, motels, B&Bs, restaurants, uh, even the gift shops and anything in between. Festivals that would last three to five days are no longer this year. As you've heard us talk about recently, a vaccine could be coming soon, but when it gets here, how many people are going to line up to get it? 
maybe not as many as you might think, a new USA Today Suffolk poll finds two-thirds of U.S. voters say they won't try to get a coronavirus vaccine as soon as it becomes available, and one in four say they don't want to get it ever. Health experts say they're concerned that achieving herd immunity could be even harder if people refuse to take a vaccine. We're on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Stay well.